0: Toto, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into racing.
1: Um, so I come from Vienna, and uh, racing wasn't part of any of my, my upbringing. Um, we didn't have any financial means, means to do go-karting or, or, or such thing, but uh, when I was 18, I got invited to a junior Formula Race, Formula 3 in Europe, and I really, really didn't know what to expect, came there, and this is really where I found my identity and uh, I did everything I could to raise sponsorship and, uh, uh, and then race in junior formulas, and this is, this is how my first few years of, uh, started in the business.
0: And how did you go from that to then leading a team?
1: Well, I, I never expected that. Obviously, everything was focused on the, on the racing career, um, uh, but that ended um, in after four or five years in because of the terrible accidents that happened in Formula One um, around Ayrton Senna um, dying because my sponsor wanted to pull out and that was basically the end of my ambition because it was a key um, key investor in, in, in my racing and then I forgot about it and uh, went into um, M&A and then venture capital stayed there for a long time and started racing as a as, as a as a hobby and, and from there started to sponsor some young drivers because it felt a bit silly in your early 30s to do racing on the weekend and, and that became a business in itself and I invested in a, in a Formula 1 team in Williams, bought, bought a stake there as a non-executive uh, with the aim to exit eventually and uh, three years in, our CEO quit and I was asked by Frank Williams whether I wanted to do this with him and I did and we won a race and this is how the Mercedes conversation started.
0: You're unique because you are CEO, principal, and part owner of Mercedes. How does that happen?
1: Yeah, I I'm, I'm have to pinch myself every day to be a co-shareholder with, with Mercedes in a, in a joint venture. So we're three equal shareholders and I'm in a way the managing partner. But it's like you say, three different hats that I need to wear from the team principal responsible, responsible for all racing ac- uh, activities is basically like belly check. Um, and then on the other side, the CEO who needs to look after the Uh, Commercial aspects of the team and growing in and then with my third hat is the the shareholder value that I need to create from my for my two partners and myself in order to grow the franchise value and and come up with a strategy that's suitable in the context of the wider F1 picture. So yeah, that um, there is uh, quite an interesting various interesting aspects of my life and job.
0: Which one takes the most time?
1: While well, the engineers will always say that I'm spending too much on the CEO um, side. Uh, and I need to uh, remind myself that in our business, it's the stopwatch. If we win, financial success is, is going to follow. Um, and in that sense, my priority must always be to, uh, to uh, create a framework where our performance people are able to thrive. And, and sometimes, you know, I deviate a little bit, um, uh, but I quickly come back to what I really love, and that is that is racing and the performance.
0: So you've been doing this for a long time. How did the how did F1 change after the Liberty acquisition?
1: Um, I think it was unthinkable back in the day that um, someone else than Bernie Ecclestone could run the sport. He's made it big, but with uh, Liberty coming in. Uh, they, they introduced a new way of uh, looking at things, uh, and, and to their credit, also Drive to Survive um, be, became big. And we were skeptical at the beginning. Ferrari and us didn't participate in, in first season of Drive to Survive because we felt we are, you know, we are here for racing and not for Cirque du Soleil. And, and eventually, we realized that the way the entertainment way of looking at the sport is, is good for all of us, as long as entertainment follows sport and not the other way around, we're not scripted content. So what Liberty has done for the sport is really bring a completely new angle um, to what was a very European and, and very South American sport.
0: What's it done for the valuation of the team?
1: Well, we're we are, we are we're getting a, um, a, um, a part of the um, top line revenue of, of Formula One um, that goes to the teams and is being divided um, uh, by all of the teams in a certain part uh, equal share and the other one based on performance. So as the, as the revenue of Formula One has been going up, that the teams are, um, benefit from that. And on the other side, Chase, back in the day, was adamant of introducing a cost cap in order to stop um, the big teams outspending each other, and he said, I need to protect you from yourself. And the, the, the blueprint was the American leagues where, when the salary caps were introduced, the businesses became sustainable. So he pushed very hard on that front, and um, that was introduced two years ago, with also the aim not only to make the business sustainable, but also to create a more level playing field.
0: So let's talk more about the economics of it. You mentioned the, the revenue share with Liberty on, on F1. What about the teams itself? How do you run that business? What does it involve?
1: So our our business today generates about $600 million um, in, in revenue, and we are growing with uh, 10 to 15% annually. We have predictable income streams because sponsorship contracts normally between five to 10 years, or this is what we're aiming for. Um, and, and so that's one um, part, one pillar of revenue. The other one is TV, um, and that is basically um, uh, F1 money, um, which is also growing strong. Because the F1 pillar is promotional deals, countries or promoters that want us to raise there and pay us, sponsorship income from F1 itself, um, and TV and media deals. So that's our second income stream. And the third one are all side activities, um, be it our engineering arm or hospitality. And so with the cost cap that is locked in at 135 million, excluding drivers and and marketing activities, that has become a sustainable cash flow uh, structure.
0: What about the prize money? How does it work that you get the points? And that actually directly relates to revenues you can bring in, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is what comes from the Formula One um, pot. It's um, split, it's two columns, how we call them, uh, two streams. One is um, divided equally by all 10 teams, and the other one divided on um, historic and current success. And that, that works well.
0: But doesn't it also influence which partners you can bring in, sponsorships, and how much they invest?
1: Yeah, I think inv- investing in Formula One as a spon- sponsor a partner is a very transparent uh, exercise in finance. You, we need to generate a return on investment for a sponsor.
0: Mercedes has won seven championships. You're currently eight. in eight. Excuse me. Lewis has won seven. Okay. You, Mercedes eight. You're currently number two, doing very well. How, how much easier is it for you to attract those kind of sponsorships than some of the competitors, which who aren't doing as well?
1: More success gives you more screen time. Um, it gives you um, reputation. Our brand, Mercedes, is very strong. So there are some companies that want to align with a Mercedes brand that stands for certain values, and all of that, including the drivers and the personalities in the team, you know, provide a different va- provide a value proposition that a sponsor is going to buy in or not. Um, so uh, that's the key element.
0: And what are those relationships like? Because they put their names on the car, but it goes deeper than that, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I think the the sticker on the car is almost the the least important of of all of those things. When you come back to saying we need to earn money for those teams, what is it? We need to define what the objective is. Do you want to sign up more clients, uh, more customers? Is it C-suite executives you want to tap or more uh, middle management? Uh, What are the kind of values you want to communicate around your brand? What is the perception you want to have? which are the um, initiatives that we can take together in terms of advertising, how do you want to be positioned, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: You mentioned the, the growth of the sport clearly over the years, you've seen that. And then Drive to Survive came and now there's this big push in America, we're adding races. What, what has that been like, the experience to expand in America, have people on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange <laughs> recognize who you are, speak at leading business conferences, how different has it been?
1: Uh, yeah, it's, it's very different. We've, we've seen that phenomenon um, in a lot of places before, where Formula One has been traditionally big, but never in the United States. And I think since um, uh, Drive to Survive and the on-track action, uh, we have uh, a lot more fans in, in the US. It's still niche. I think our, our target group is, is affluent. Interestingly, the strongest growing group is young females. Um, and, and, and future fans.
0: You do, you mentioned that it's you used use the word niche, I think. It, it does have a reputation to only serving affluent, to being primarily focused around men. How much of a limiting factor do you think those things are to the growth of the sport?
1: Uh, Formula One is a technical sport. It's an engineering competition. Uh, it has traditionally been positioned, like Bernie said, as a the hospitality, as a Michelin restaurant and not a burger joint it's not very accessible because the tickets are very very expensive and i think all that created this high-tech highly affluent um, fan community but as we grow bigger the sport is 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 an is an interesting entertainment proposition now also and then plus the streaming over netflix i think we are going wider and more more mainstream more people have access and that's why in the US. we're particularly successful in selling out live. You know, in Austin, we had last year 440,000 people and those tickets um, are affordable. In um, uh, Some of the tickets are affordable and we're trying to provide a good show. So I think we are, gro- we are growing strong, but it will always or it has always been a little bit of this affluent uh, group.
0: Should it be more accessible? Is that a good thing?
1: I'd love to. I think we'd still need to keep our exclusivity because it is expensive to run these two cars. We have two and a half thousand people. Uh, that work for two F1 um, F1 cars, um, so it, it is what it is. But I think we are creating a product that becomes more avail- available um, and goes a little bit uh, wider. And I would love to tap um, to tap uh, more uh, more markets in the US and access more people. So this becomes a, a US wide sport um, in the in the next years.
0: So you're happy about adding the third race in Vegas this year.
1: Yes, I think I was. Austin was such a long-term partner of ours and we had the difficult years there and then obviously it's prospering. Miami uh, was a blast second time around. Now the organization got everything right and I think it was great entertainment for the fans. And Las Vegas is blowing everything out of the park. I mean, as we hear, uh, it's going to be big. I guess this is what Las Vegas is all about. Big and expensive. Yeah, big and expensive. So maybe we need to create also um, other ways of accessing it. Um, uh, obviously, we are, we're limited in space, but yeah, those three destinations in the U.S. Are, are great.
0: You think we can accommodate more even races in the U.S.?
1: Well, I think we can because America is such an important market. But I'm really happy with the three that we have that we have today. But obviously, racing around here would be would be mega. Well,
0: around here in New York, you mean? Yes. You think? I guess we'd have to. go uh, out No, of the I don't. City.
1: Want, I don't want to create a rumor. Of course, we uh, we are where we are, but New York is the is the last remaining uh, city that you know that would be great for Formula One. But again, that's Greg's and Stefano's call, and uh, for me, it's rather just having a laugh here. Yeah.
0: Can it ever be as big as football in the U.S. or soccer glo- globally?
1: I think we need to be r- realistic when you look at those three um, sports. Soccer is a global phenomenon. It's 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 mainstream. Everybody can take a football um, um, and and kick around in the backyard, uh, and that there is, and that's being done all around the world. If you look at social media following of the biggest football stars, we're talking five hundred million plus Instagram followers. Lewis on the other side, is also a global phenomenon, but the, with the more niche. Um, fans, like I, I mentioned before, so the, the ratio is one to ten in a way. Um, and then you have this traditionally national big sports like American football. Uh, I, I thought the other day that New York can probably, uh, Lewis can probably go around New York and have a okay life. That's why he's also spending time in the US. Um, Tom Brady wouldn't be able, but Tom Brady could in Europe um, because the sport is not as big as it is. And I think it's, it, we need to say, we need to set realistic objectives. Can Formula One be as big as the NFL in the US? I don't think so. Can the NFL be as big as Formula One in all of the other continents? I don't think so either.
0: Can it operate more like the NFL, where it's league first? Because it feels like it's been very much team first kind of mentality.
1: Yeah, we have a different um, structure. I think in uh, in the NFL, the teams own the league. Um, and in our case, it's Liberty that owns the league. And the teams are having a, um, a share of that. So. Uh, that is structurally different. I think we still have the same objectives. We want to grow, the, wanna grow the, the sport in popularity and in revenue. Um, and so there's, it's not too dissimilar.
0: You mentioned, how many people did you say work for the team for two cars?
1: 2,500. And, a half
0: thousand. and how, how big is that relative to some of the other teams?
1: So half of it is um, basically doing engines, designing the engine and producing the engines. And the other half is the chassis, the car. Um, I would say that on the chassis side, we are probably as big as uh, Ferrari and Red Bull. And then there is, um, the, I would say, second-tier teams in terms of size, the Clans of this world, that are going to be probably just below 1,000 people, eight 900. And then there are smaller entities that will be around six or 700, but not big differences.
0: How many of the people that work for you are men? Because when I go to the track and see the teams, mostly men.
1: Yeah, mostly white men, um, but we are, we, are, we are changing that and uh, our team Mercedes we're trying to be trailblazers. We have set ourselves initiatives like um, what we call Accelerate 25, that for all new hires we want, to, um, we want to employ 25% from underrepresented groups and year one has been 38%. So I'm really proud on that and you can see that our population changes, you know, it's just different. And I strongly believe that this is going to bring performance because I want different backgrounds, um, be, it, be it cultural um, and, um, or, 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 or skin color. Uh, I want ambition and determination. If traditionally we would look at Cambridge or Oxford, uh, uh, students, we are now looking also at universities that are more accessible from, for, for young students from underprivileged backgrounds. And, and we're, seeing, we're seeing that it's working. And uh, on the other side, uh, it's about females. Uh, case.
0: How important is that to the growth of the sport, do you think?
1: what you know what i mentioned is the strongest growing audience is young females why is uh, that i don't know maybe young drivers that do some social media they're um,
0: very handsome
1: they are, i can't judge but if you say that <laughs> um, and i think it's just good entertainment in a way and uh, we, so uh, i think if we were able to have a competitive girl in a car uh, as a sport that has been traditionally man only That would make me super proud, and I think would do the sport very good.
0: The other knock against the sport right now is that Max Verstappen is winning all the races. Is it bad for the sport to have one team so dominant? I realize that you were in that position for many years. But doesn't that hurt the, the fun and the appeal?
1: I think when we won eight times in a row, there was the kind of same opinion that, uh, are we damaging the sport because it's not variable and unpredictable enough? And I think that comes with uh, with domination. But rather than, you know, some of our competitors have uh, tried to reach out to the FA to change the regs, uh, um, i think we just need to respect that the team and the driver have done a better job than than everybody else it's a is a meritocracy it's about fastest man and fastest machine wins and the red bull car at the moment is um, is the benchmark and it's up to us to do a better job to to catch up and uh, not complain too much about it being too boring that's an issue for for formula 1 overall that we need great entertainment um, but it's up to me and my team to just Um, keep pushing and deliver a car that is good enough so Lewis and George can win a championship.
0: Which is it? Is it the car or the driver? Which matters more?
1: I often get that question. It's interesting. So I think um, the best driver in the worst car will probably not qualify last, but will maybe qualify 15s. Um, The worst driver in the best car is going to win races, but not a championship.
0: So how do you get a car as good as the Red Bull car right now, especially with the cost cap?
1: Formula One is about physics. It's not mystics. Uh, we there's within a certain framework of regulation, you have to create a car that is quick on track with the most downforce, but efficient on the straights. And um, so it's up to us to take decisions, the right decisions of what does that car need to look like. What do we need to design and develop and produce that that correlates. To that objective.
0: How do, how do we think about valuations on a team like Mercedes? We see these eye-popping valuations across sports for, for different teams. Is F1 similar?
1: I think when you look at sports, live sports generally, uh, it has proven pretty crisis resilient. We, we, at least Formula One, was able to put on races um, uh, behind closed doors, but we were able to broadcast them. Um, and, and live sports can't be rep- replicated in an easy way. It has taken. Uh, many tens of years to create these leagues and create these teams, so you can't just enter and and start it on uh, on your own. Um, And so it's a high entry barrier sports. Um, And so that's why franchise values have increased because it's simply a supply and demand. We generate revenue, we generate EBITDA, we generate net profit, uh, we have predictable income streams going forward and then put on top, uh, let's say, a value for for limit ten limited franchises, and that gives you a certain valuation. But you know, like all valuations, it's uh, it, it, it's it's worth what somebody else uh, wants to pay, uh, and that only if you want to sell. So,
0: do you ever think about selling your stake?
1: No, I think we have a structure now where we have three equal shareholders, each of them is bringing their part to to the um, to the sport and to the team, and we want to keep it um, long term. That's our main concentration now and, and for the foreseeable future.
0: I think the two big questions that, that we're sort of asking around the sport is, first of all, how big it can get, which we talked about, but also how big it can get and grow without compromising the integrity and maintaining the brand. Is that something you're worried about?
1: We need to be always careful of um, um, finding the right balance between uh, offering entertainment in, 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 in the right dose, you know it's like like selling a luxury brand um, but always selling just one product less that than you could and make it desirable. Um, because if you oversaturate the market um, by pursuing uh, top line revenue, it's not going to do the spot well. But I think our our shareholders um, and 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 Stefano Dominicali have a you know clear objective in that sense that they understand what Formula One stands for, which markets we need to tap, which sponsorship um, or which revenue pillar um, needs to grow. So I think we're in a good place.
0: What stresses you out the most as CEO of the Mercedes team?
1: Um, what stresses me out, I think. Uh, there is no such factor that stresses me out. I'm getting annoyed by non-performance. Uh, you know, here I love New York, and uh, waking up in the morning thinking about that—it's like all-encompassing. Um, but it's also the challenge. I love—I uh, love trying to solve problems. I feel in my comfort zone when the when the pressure kicks in. I'm more at risk of a blowout than a burnout. Um, but uh, as we all um, trying to balance family and, and and work is is not always trivial, and um, but this is uh, this is the problem of many.
0: So there are ten teams and twenty drivers. Should F1 expand the number of teams?
1: I think we need to be open um, to any um, expansion that is a creative for the business. We are a limited amount of ten franchises, and we've teams that have been committed for a long term. Ferrari has been there 70 years. We've gone through really difficult times and now the sport is in, in, is in a better place and we share the revenues. But at the end of the day, Formula One, the organization and the FAA decide that another team would contribute to the sport's growth, uh, being in a particular market or because it, um, it would grow the revenue of the series. We just, uh, uh, we just need to acknowledge that. Um, as a team, we have no say in that beyond uh, giving our um, opinion around, is it logistically viable to have two more cars? Um, what is it What is it that influences what we do? But um, the decision is up to the FA and the commercial rights. Holder. But it
0: wouldn't make you angry. I know the Andretti family wants in.
1: Yeah, I think it's for the teams, from the team's perspective, it's dilutive. You bring another team in, that means um, it's just about 10% less in revenue for the teams. But I would be as a team owner perfectly prepared to do this if I would know that over, let's say midterm, that team would compensate us for the 10% when we're losing because they're bringing new audiences, new market, they're adding to the show, then it becomes a no brainer. And Formula One obviously needs to say, okay, what is it that the team can bring? Is the American team a great um, um, value add? Or is Gene Haas as as an American team enough?
0: What about that prospect? I
1: think we have an American team today. And I think this is what we need to support out most. Um, And I have been always skeptical about uh, another additional entry, be it an American team or or another entry. But I'm, I'm coming back. If the team can demonstrate that it's adding to the top line growth of the sport, be it in terms of audiences, storytelling, or revenue, the teams will be absolutely in favor of, um, of, of committing to another entry.